Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Psalm 23. Today's message is a little different. I was all prepared to begin a new series today. Been thinking about it, talking with the Lord about it for several months, and um, felt like last week was going to be the last in this Names of God in the Old Testament series. And, and so as I was just spending time with the Lord this week and kind of moving ahead with the new series and putting things together, I felt this internal pressure, and I don't know any other better way to describe it. It's just an internal pressure. Um, I have felt it at different times. I, I feel it at different times, uh, as I'm sure you do. And I've learned through the years to stop and try to investigate why it's there. Because as I, I tried to move forward with this new series, I felt this pressure. So I began, first of all, to, to begin to ask the Lord, Lord, is this any kind of attack of the enemy? Because sometimes you'll feel that pressure when the enemy attacks. And so is this some type of attack from the enemy? I didn't have any sense from the Lord, and it didn't feel like an attack from the enemy. It's a little different. It's pressure, but there's usually other things that accompany it, uh, that pressure. And didn't sense any of that. And so I thought, okay, well, it's not that. And, and so, and much like, and, and I'm going into detail on this because I think it's important for you to understand when we throw certain phrases, for example, when I throw around the phrase, I hear from the Lord, and so do you. But how do you do that? What does that look like? And so I'm, I'm going in a little bit more detail because I want you to understand it's not mystical, it's not spooky. It's just, it's something that God wants all of us to experience. And so, um, I, I, and so like a doctor, I'm kind of going through asking some questions, trying to evaluate what's going on here. So it didn't sense it was spiritual in the sense of the enemy. And so I thought, well, maybe there's sin because sometimes I feel that pressure when there's sin and it's the Holy Spirit convicting. He's convincing of sin, saying this is not my plan, not my path for you. So was, is there some sin, known or unknown, something I was conscious of or unconscious of that the Holy Spirit was trying to point out? I didn't sense, as I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, is there something there? I didn't sense that. And often, when there is sin, the enemy also pours on top of it some guilt and condemnation. It's usually a good sign that the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, but the enemy does. So, and I didn't have any guilt or condemnation. And so, I, I kind of just praying through this list of things. Then I thought, well, uh, sometimes it's um, worry and fear that are causing this pressure within inside of um, I'm worried about something, I'm fearful about something, about how something's going to turn out or, or, or where it's going to go. And so there's, there can be pressure that's caused by this worry or fear. But again, I didn't sense that either as I was praying through it. I didn't sense worry or fear, just pressure. And so then I thought, physically speaking, fatigue will also do this. Have you experienced that? When you get fatigued or overly fatigued, you can feel a pressure because there's the pressure of, here's what I need to do and I don't feel like doing. I don't have energy to do. I don't want to do it. And so there's an internal pressure sometimes that's associated with that. But I didn't feel fatigued. I had slept well. It was morning time. I felt fresh. Didn't feel like fatigue. And so I was like, Lord, what is this? And the Lord finally brought to the point, Troy, I want to guide you in a different way. That is this kind of pressure. I want to guide you somewhere else. It's important that you and I understand this because I believe it is a very common way that the Holy Spirit works in your life and my life as a believer is that he will apply this pressure 
And you and I then begin to go, okay, help me understand, Lord, what is this pressure all about? What is it about? Is there sin? Is there an attack of the enemy? Is there fear and worry in my life? Is there fatigue? What is going on here? And it seemed uh, the strong sense from the Lord, I want to guide you differently than you're thinking. And so I'm applying pressure because I want you to go a different way. So there's one more message, and as far as I know. There's one more message in the series of God's names in the Old Testament. It's in Psalm 23. This message is going to be a little different in the sense I'm not going to go expositorily through this whole passage, a powerful passage, but here about two years ago I did that, and so I think we could find it somewhere in the podcast uh, if you want to listen to it. I went through it verse by verse and broke it down over a number of weeks. I'm not going to do that this morning. There's really one one thing that the Lord has been pushing and directing. Let's read it together. Psalm 23. The Lord, Jehovah, notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord Jehovah is my shepherd. Rohi. Jehovah Rohi. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. By the way, that word want. Some of your Bibles probably may translate lack. I shall not lack. Um, I shall not, uh, what is it? Rest. It, tra- it translates that I shall not rest. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> he said that would be an unusual translation. Um, that's, most of us experience that, but that's not what the shepherd wants to bring. Um, a lot of times we experience unrest, but he wants to bring rest. He wants to bring, but I, there, there are different translations for this word. If you wanted the Troy translation of this Hebrew word, I shall not face any situation where the shepherd is not capable and willing to provide enough for that moment. That is what that word literally means. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We're going to come back to that in a minute. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores. He restores the soul. That word soul has many, it's, it's translated many different ways and used for all kinds of application of life. Inner life, outer life, it's he restores. He restores. He leads me in paths of righteousness or in the right path for his namesake. So there's guidance in all of this. There's restoration, there's guidance. He keeps going. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And by the way, you will. You will. What is the valley of the shadow of death? It is the place where there are shadows and you're afraid. That's what it is. It can be caused by all sorts of situations in our life. But there are shadows and you're afraid. In simple terms. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there are things around me. um, What is the acronym for fear? False evidence appearing real? but I promise you, it looks very real as you walk through it. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's comfort. Instead of fear, there's comfort. I love that. I love it too. It doesn't say that he, chased, he, he shines a lot of sun in there and all the shadows go away. Sometimes that happens. It just simply says, you're with me, and now I have comfort instead of fear doesn't say anything about where the shadows went, if they're still there or not there. I just have comfort. He goes on, and he says, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, again, I don't like this, but I do. I love it. Because my enemies didn't go anywhere. He just allows me to sit down and feast in front of them. Isn't that what it says? He prepares a table for me in the present. They're still there. For, as far as I can tell, they're still my enemies. He just prepares a feast for me right in the midst of them. They don't stop me from enjoying my food. <laughs> you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I love that surely, uh, truly, without a doubt, you can bank on it. That's what he's saying. Goodness and mercy. Well, where does goodness come? Who is goodness and mercy? It's the Lord, right? God Almighty, He is goodness and mercy. Shall follow me all day. He's not just following me, He's with me and in me. And I shall dwell in the house. I'm going to live at His house as part of His family forever. That's literally what it says. I'm going to live there. I have decided that this is my residence and I'm not leaving. And I don't have to leave because he made a way. He made me part of the family. He gave me an open invitation and said, this is your home and you don't have to go. You're here. This is your place. This is where you get to live in my presence. It's an incredible psalm. It is one of the most powerful pieces of scripture in all of God's word I mean it's one of the things that many of us memorize when we're little I remember when I was in children's church making some kind of little plaster Paris that had a sticky thing across the front of it with a picture of a shepherd and a sheep and the whole deal and coming home and had, you know put on a little stand and the whole deal when I was a kid memorizing Psalm 23 Jehovah Rohi the Lord my shepherd this morning, I want to talk about one aspect of this whole chapter. I, I have a lot of conversations. I talk to a lot of people. I talk to people on the phone. I talk to people in person. I talk to people by email. I text some limited talking on text. These hands were not made for texting, all right? <laughs> they were not. I mean, you look at the phone, look at these hands, they were not made for texting. Somebody says, well, get a stylus. I lose the stylus, and then it's just irritating. And so if you want to communicate with me, texting is not the best way, all right? I'm not, I'm not a big texter. I, I usually, if it takes more than about six-word reply, I don't do it. Um, so, but I communicate with a lot of people and talk to a lot of people. Many times in those conversations, people are going through stuff. They got heavy stuff. They are facing relationships where someone has hurt them deeply. They've caused pain. They've caused them to feel useless or unworthy or unwanted. They've made them angry because of the pain that they've caused. Sometimes they've made them bitter because of the pain, because of the hurt. Sometimes they've made them withdraw and they're just overly inward, withdrawn because of the hurt. I talk to people who have this kind of stuff and it's real. 
I, I talk to people who um, they're worried and they're fearful. They've got relationships where they're concerned about a spouse or a child or a grandchild or a parent or someone that they're close to or maybe someone they're not that close to but they have to interact with a lot. And they're fearful and they're worried about this. They're not sure how it's going to turn out. They're not sure where they're going or what they're doing or what this even looks like. And they're afraid. We talk to people who they have, they're facing medical things. And it's, it's scary. It's uncertain. You talk to people who they face financial issues. It's like, I don't know how this is going to work out. There, there d- doesn't seem to be a way for the supply that I have to meet the need. That's an unsettling place to be. I heard one speaker say, whether this is right or not, it's his opinion, that the second greatest pressure to war is financial pressure. I don't know if that's true or not. It was his opinion. But I do know it's a pressure. You talk to folks who they're worried about the future and there's pressure because of the future and the uncertainty of it or the desires that they have for it and not necessarily seeing those desires met. Not sure how it's all going to work out. I have a lot of these conversations. And I'm a fixer by nature. I like to fix things. I like to solve them and resolve them and move on. That's, I'm, I'm wired that way. And a lot of times, and especially early on in my ministry, I did people that way. To me, they were projects to be fixed. And this problem is simply an opportunity for us to have a great, wonderful, wise solution. You go do it. Everything's better and happy, and we all move on. That's, it, that, that is wonderful in theory. It's just life doesn't usually work that way. And so I found a, a challenge. I found a problem in all of this and my desire to want to fix and help and remove and resolve that I couldn't. More often than not, I, I didn't have... Early on, I thought I had a lot of wisdom to give, and so I would give people answers. I find as I get older, I give way fewer answers to people because I realize I have way fewer answers. Our pat answers usually are just that. They're pat answers. And so I've, I've discovered something along the way is that God never intended me to be the fixer. He never intended me to resolve it. I thought that was what I was getting paid for. I thought that was my job. I went with the title. That's what I was supposed to do. No. God said, no, that's not your job. That's not, what, that's not what you do. That's not your calling to fix it and make it better. If you come to me with that expectation, you're going to be disappointed because I can't fix it. I can't. As much as I want to, I want to fix it. I want to resolve it. I can't. Some of you come with situations and it's like, this person is doing this, this, and this. And, and I look at you and think, that's horrible. And other than going out and shooting them and going to jail myself, I don't know what I can do about that, all right? I can't fix it. 
I can't make someone, many times I can't even make me, much less someone else, do what they're supposed to do, or at least what I think they're supposed to do. I can't fix it. So God began to take me personally through things that now I, I give it out to you. I've learned that my calling and my job is to take you to the throne of grace. That is my calling. I take you to the only one who can fix it. The only one who has answers. But I've got to tell you a little bit about him. Because if you look at him as the fixer, and that's all you're seeing is the fixer, the resolver, you're going to miss the beauty of this relationship. Because he is Jehovah-Rohi, your shepherd. It is my experience in my own personal life and many that I have walked with and talked to through the years is often we, we, we know him as Savior but don't experience him as shepherd. I believe you can do that, that you can know him as Savior and not experience him as shepherd. He says, I want you to experience me as shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's no situation where he is not able and willing to provide sufficient supply in the moment that it's needed. And that relationship that's bothering you so much, he's sufficient to provide supply for what you need right now. But not for what you need two hours from now. Or two days from now. Now don't mishear me. I'm not saying he's not enough for two days from now. I'm saying he doesn't give it to you. He does not give you two days from now today. He gives you today, today. And he'll give you two days from now, two days from now. When I was struggling this week and, you know, I had my mind all set. It's tough when, if you're like me, I had my mind set in a direction. I want to go in that direction. And the Lord's, and he applied that pressure because he knows me. I, once I get going, I like to go that way. I like to accomplish it. And he began redirecting, and all of a sudden he flashed through my mind something that someone had spoken recently, but I couldn't remember who or where. I just remembered the what. And it was this idea that green pastures in Psalm 23 are not what we think they are. That was what flashed into my mind. I couldn't remember who said it. I couldn't remember where they said it. I just remember somebody said it. And I was thinking, huh. And, and then I thought, well, Maybe Tom Colopy said it. So I went to Tom this morning. I said, Tom, did you say it? He's like, no. He said, I think Roy said that and in the men's gathering. I said, okay. I, and so, if, Roy, if you're the one who said it, thank you. But God brought it to mind. And so I quickly just did a little search. Green pastures, not what you think, uh, sort of thing. And I'm like a simple guy that way. And, and so this stuff began to pop up. But one of them was Ray Vanderlyn. I love Ray Vanderlyn. If you're not familiar with his ministry that the world may know. Uh, Ray is an incredible Bible teacher. And uh, the last name is two words, if you want to look him up. Matter of fact, I would encourage you all, if you have access, uh, to watch. It's only about four minutes long. It's called Green Pastures, Ray Vanderlyn, V-A-N-D-E-R, another word, L-A-A-N. I guess he's Dutch. All right? And so I watched this, and it was really good, and it opened my eyes. And it really fit into it. I thought, Lord, now I get what you want to say to me and to us. I understand. It makes sense. I want you to picture in your mind for me right now a green pasture. He makes me lie down 
and green pastures. You got that picture in your mind? Close your eyes if you have to. I got that green pasture. You see it? You see the green pasture? Everybody got green pasture in your mind? You see a picture of it in your mind? Raise your hand if you got green pasture in your mind, all right? If you don't have green pasture, borrow your neighbors, all right? But you need, green, you need a green pasture in your mind, all right? You got green pasture in your mind? Can we put that picture up, Liz? Does any of your green pasture look like that? That is what the psalmist is talking about when he says, he leads me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, wait a second, that's not a green pasture. That's a rocky mess is what that is. That's a desert. Well, remember David, he's a shepherd in the desert. Much of Israel is arid and desert. He talks a lot about being in the Negev. The Negev is the south. It's the southern part, and it's, it's the wilderness. Desert area. It gets a little bit of rain, annual rainfall, but not a whole lot, very little. And it gets some moisture that comes off the Mediterranean. So the, the wind blows off the Mediterranean. It brings a little humidity and moisture a little bit into that arid climate. So you get a little bit of rainfall. You get a little bit of humidity that comes because of the wind blowing it in. But God set it up in an amazing way because it comes in, that moisture comes in and it hits these rocks, these stones, these things that, quite honestly, I'd like them out of the way because I like a smooth path, all right? These things hurt your feet and they make you lose your balance and I don't want a rocky path. I want a smooth path. Don't you? Wouldn't it be great if the Lord just, we prayed and he just rolled out a big, nice, wide sidewalk in front of us as we walk through life. I want my sidewalk, Lord. And maybe all that stuff going around, but I want my smooth path, my easy path. No, it's rocky. It's rough, it's uneven. But without the rocks, without all that unevenness, the moisture wouldn't catch. But see, the moisture catches, the way God designed it, catches on the rock and causes condensation underneath, and it drips down. Just a little bit of moisture dripping down. You see those little sprigs of green popping up? They're popping up around the rock because the moisture catches there and it drips in the green a little bit. When David said, he leads me, he guides me to a place, he takes me to a place where there are green pasture. He wasn't talking like, you know, a big hay field like I was thinking in Mississippi. He wasn't talking about all the green we have here in Florida because there's moisture and water all the time. He was talking about this. A desert place. You'd look out across there and think, there's nothing green here. And yet the shepherd knows exactly where the fields are, where there's a little bit of moisture, a little bit of green that's popping up. He leads the sheep into that. You'll see it even today in Israel, up on that hillside. And they're eating. They're eating that little bit of green. It's not enough for tomorrow. It's not something where they can lay down and think, oh, just any time I want to bite off, I'll get a bite. It's not enough for that. It's enough for right now. That's all it's enough for. It's enough for right now. It is not for any more than that. One old rabbi, according to Ray Vanderlyn, one old rabbi said that worry is trying to solve tomorrow's problems with today's pasture it's not enough for that now i realize that we live in a culture that tells you that that's poor planning on your part if you're not thinking about the future 
If you're not thinking about tomorrow, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a one-year plan and a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and a 30-year plan, then you are being unwise. I know we live in a culture like that, and I'm not against planning. We plan here. I'm not against planning. I'm saying that walking with the shepherd means that there's a trust in him that he's going to provide what's needed at the moment no matter what my plan was. No matter what my agenda might have been, where I thought I was going to end up. He's going to lead me to a place where there's enough for right now. It was interesting, a couple of people came up to me during the greeting time talking about songs. As I mentioned that, how God gives you a song when you're going through it. Um, I think one of them was Reckless Love, that you were mentioned, mentioning one of the songs that just ministers uh, and, and other songs. Uh, Margaret came up to me during that when she was going through can't she just finished up cancer treatment her chemo and the the day that she finishes it up she is in the car and she flips on the radio and and because he lives is playing because he lives I can face tomorrow and she comes in church the next day or that weekend and we're praying in 6-4 and out of nowhere, Nicole begins to sing, and she sings because he lives. I can face tomorrow. So she remembers that in those deep, dark moments, when the future is uncertain, that God gave a song. He gave provision. He, he gave nourishment. Just when it was needed. At the moment. In a way that only he could do. She couldn't provide it for herself. My brother over here, he couldn't provide it for himself. The shepherd did that. He's done it in your life. Here's the problem. When we experience him doing that, I think we revert back to this picture of the big green alfalfa field. Okay, now I'm here in this place of rest. No, you're still on rocky terrain. He just gave you enough for the moment. But hang on, because this afternoon, you're probably going to need him to lead you to another place of nourishment. And tomorrow, and throughout the day tomorrow, and throughout this week, in that relationship, I, one of the conversations that I have repeatedly with people is, yes, I know God did this then, but I've just had enough. I can't do anymore. I can't take anymore. I can't go anymore. And I understand that because I have said it many times. You know why we get to that place? Because I am trying to solve tomorrow's problems with today's pasture. Today's pasture is good for today's problem. It's nourishment for today, not tomorrow. James says, why do you say that tomorrow we will go here and there and do such and such and get gain when you don't know what a day will bring? Why do you do that? Rather, we should say, my grandmother used to say this all the time. I never knew until I actually read the Bible why she said this. She used to sell a time. I'd say, we're going to go do this. She goes, if the Lord wills. The Lord wills. I'm like, what do you mean if he wills? I'm just going down the store. Of course he wills. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. If the Lord wills. Folks, if we're going to experience him as shepherd, we're going to have to live un-American lives. I'm just telling you. You're going to have to live an un-American life if you're going to experience him as shepherd. Because Americans don't live this way. We don't think we need to or should. We don't even think it's right to live this way. What do you mean, dependent, moment by moment? 
No, I got a plan and I got provision and I got resources and I got it wired. I got it figured out. Yes, and you can live life that way and know him as Savior, perhaps, but you won't experience him as shepherd, living life that way. You can't. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they're coming, you know, I have shared quite a bit of my life and story with you guys. It's, it's part of, it's the only way I really know how to preach or teach. It has to be something I've experienced because I, I'm not really good with just information, just communicating information. I have spent much of my life with that internal pressure that we talked about at the beginning of the service. How many of you relate? You understand what I mean when I say internal pressure. Okay. There's a lot of you. For the rest of you, God bless you. I'm happy for you. I am now. I wouldn't have been a few years ago. But I'm, 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 I'm happy for you. But that internal pressure is a miserable way to live. I know it firsthand. Some of it caused by my sin. Some of it caused by fear and worry. Some of it, much of it caused because I was just going to do it my way. My will. Lord, I want your will as long as it's consistent with mine. And why wouldn't it be? I mean, my will is good, Lord. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't want it if it wasn't good. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy statement? Because there's so much in our life we wanted that is not good. But we feel that way. I'm going to challenge you this morning. And I'll probably challenge you if I talk to you individually, one-on-one -on -one in the days ahead. I probably have in the past. That whatever it is that you're carrying, I do not minimize it. Whatever pain that you have because of relationships, because of loss, whatever insecurities that come because of what appears to be lack of provision or lack of resources or just the fear that there might be lack of resources or provision one day. How many of you can sit down and watch one of these financial commercials on TV and the next thing you know, you're worried about tomorrow? It's like, have I done enough? Have I prepared enough? Am I doing the right thing? They make you afraid. And then I come back to the place, wait a second, I don't trust in any of that. I have a shepherd. Jehovah Roy. He is more than enough. More than enough. Well, what about this if this comes? He's more than enough if that comes. What if my health breaks? He's more than enough. What if my, what if my retirement, my planning runs out? He's more than enough. What if the federal government fails and can't insure all of the stuff I thought they were insuring. Well, shame on us for thinking they could do it to start with. <laughs> I, I did not plan that, but anyway. <laughs> 
I want to know him as shepherd, not just his savior. I want to experience that day in and day out. And that's the only way you experience him as shepherd, day in and day out, one day at a time. You cannot experience him as shepherd tomorrow, today. You have to taste it and see it today. You have to experience it today. Tomorrow, he'll be shepherd tomorrow when you get there. But you can't have enough tomorrow today. You can't have enough for tomorrow today. It just doesn't work that way. The picture of the manna in the Old Testament, he gave them enough for that day. And then on the day before the Sabbath, he gave them enough for two days so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath. But he said, that's all. And if they tried to keep it and store it up and have it the next day, what happened? It rotted. It spoiled. Which is exactly what happens with all the stuff that we try to pile up and live without a shepherd. It begins to rot and stink. Jehovah Rahi. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't like the rocks, I'll be honest. But I love experiencing the shepherd. When he makes me lie down, when he gives me a drink when I'm really thirsty, when he leads me in the path that I'm supposed to go, and I know he's leading, when he prepares a banquet for me when I shouldn't be feasting, when everything around says, no, this is not the time, you got too many enemies, there's too much, there's too much going on out there, no, I've made a table for you right here. He anoints my head with oil. That's a great picture. We talked about it when we were doing the series. That oil had, had herbs and things in it. Too. It protected the sheep from all these pesky little insects that, was, that were always trying to, just like gnats and mosquitoes, just always trying to get at them. That's what he does. That's who he is. But it's only enough for today. Tomorrow, you'll have to come to him again as shepherd and the day after. But you can, because Hebrews says that I can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in my time of need. Why? Because he's my shepherd. He's a good shepherd. You say, Troy, I want to experience that. How do I do that? One way. You must continually come back to looking at the shepherd and not your problem. You have to live life that way. If you look at your problem, your problem will center and order everything else in your life. It will dominate because you have made it first. You have made it preeminent, and whatever's preeminent orders everything else in your life. So if that is your focus, if that's, you're consumed with that, you won't experience him as shepherd. There's no room for him to be shepherd. You just look to him. You keep coming back and looking to him. You say, I don't know how to do that. I don't either, other than I just do it. I just, I find myself in, the, in, in this pressure. I find this, myself in this place where I don't know what to do. And I say, Lord, I need to see you bigger than anything else. Help me see you bigger than anything else. Lord, right now I yield to you. I lay down my will to have it my way, to do it my way for it to work out my way. I lay it all down. Lord, I just want to see you. I just want to hear you. I just want to know you. Be honest with him. And if you don't feel that way, say, Lord, I don't really feel that way, but I want to feel that way. I want to get to the point where I want to just see you and hear you and know you. 
but I'm not there yet. You know what a shepherd does? He, he takes me right there and leads me where I need to go. I want you to bow your heads with me. They're going to sing. While they sing, would you talk to the shepherd? Just pour out your heart to him. Just talk to him. Give it to him.